Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today to Jessie Wong. Jessie is the founder of luxury leather goods brand Yumei. She set up Yumei after winning an AMP scholarship while completing a Bachelor of Fashion Design at Otago, which allowed her to invest in the specialised machinery required to craft leather goods. Six years on, Yume has grown to a team of 16 with a permanent design studio and three flagship stores across Wellington and Auckland. Under the guidance of her female business mentor, Jessie has scaled her business, securing a world-class manufacturing facility to realise plans for international expansion. I'm really looking forward to hearing more today. Kia ora, Jessie, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to hear, um, Jessie, as you were growing up and thinking maybe about future careers, what were you dreaming about or aspiring to? Yeah, I think there was there was a there was a few things, but I've always sort of had a bit of a creative mind. I, I studied a lot of those subjects at school. I was really interested in art and media, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed English as well. And so I think when I was growing up, there was kind of two things that I wanted to do: it was either be a fashion designer or um, an editor of a magazine. So. I, I don't know. I, I kind of went down the, the fashion path and I am making handbags today. You sure are. And what was it about fashion design that appealed to you? I really like the expression of fashion. I mean, there's so much to it and I guess like identifying, you know, who you are and being able to tell stories and go into other worlds through fashion as a medium, but it's also something that has so much utility in it and you actually need to engage in as part of society every single day. So I thought it's a really interesting kind of, there's a, there's a big sort of breadth to work in there. And I also just love craft. Like I started sewing when I was about 11 years old and just absolutely loved making everything that I wore. Wonderful. And how amazing now to be able to that be part of your daily life as well. Now, I know that almost, well, I think while you were studying or soon after you were studying, you set up may. What were the, I guess, the highlights, but also the challenges of those first couple of years of setting up and running your own business? Yeah, I mean, those first couple of years were just so much fun. We were having an absolute ball and it's something that I'm so proud of when we look back on it. We, we worked so hard, but had the most fun. So I started down in Dunedin and just had this little sort of trestle table in the corner of a studio that was run by um, a couple of friends who had a screen printing business, the print room down in Dunedin. And I was just figuring it out. Like I'd won a sewing machine as part of my degree and started making bags and had a little bit of a relationship with New Zealand Light Leathers, which was our tannery. And I was making them all by hand. So I, I probably made the first 500 myself. And then we sort of moved the studio up to Wellington. And we I, I feel like we grew quite quickly in that first few months of the business. I went to 
New Zealand Fashion Week and we picked up nine accounts and then all of a sudden it wasn't like a 60 or 100 bags. It was sort of more in the reaching the thousands. And so it was a big kind of jump and we, we would stay up. I remember there was this one time we stayed up all night for three nights in a row in four days before a launch. And it was challenging. It was tiring. It required a lot of grit. But it was just the most fun. Like we were playing Beyonce in the studio and and really all showing, I guess, yeah, we were just having a great time. And I think that probably illustrates the very nicely the highlights and challenges of running your own business. You know, you get to perhaps use your passion, which for yourself, as you said, was craft, was making things. You get lots of fun probably because you're following a passion, but also the challenges of growth sometimes or of delivering to customers orders those can be real challenges as well yeah and they I mean they always change as the goalpost changes and the benchmark kind of of what you're doing like that was really kind of early early days and then you sort of start growing and the challenges become getting suppliers to be on your team as a as a young woman and everyone still remembers you as a fashion student and so doesn't think it's a real business or you know and then you kind of move on to to other bits and pieces along the way but I think yeah it's it's been fun. You talked about a couple of challenges there about you know perhaps getting suppliers to take you seriously as a young woman or actually being seen as a real business not just as a fashion design student. How did you overcome some of those challenges? Uh, perseverance. Yeah, just keep on um keep on knocking on doors and and asking and showing up and I think that's something that you know, my mum, I remember actually going for an interview for a first job that I had in uni and she just said, as long as you like absolutely do everything you're, you say you're going to do and you turn up and you're always there, then it, it will be fine. And so I guess I just kept on showing up and then over time, yeah, they started to take me more and more seriously. Fantastic. And I think as well, once you saw the demand, as you said, through New Zealand Fashion Week, that people wanted your bags as well, then that will make people take you more seriously too. Yes. Yeah. I think I actually, the uh, turning um, for Tannery, who have always been so generous with their time, but really going from that kind of fashion student mode to a brand was an interview that I did where I kind of got, it was my first time doing something on on live TV and I got stuck in a vortex of talking about how amazing they were for about five minutes on national TV. And then after that, they were like, Heidi Mai, come over, like, we'll support you through whatever. And they have really been like family to me. So those building those relationships and that kind of rapport with everybody in our supply chain has always been super important. Fantastic. And I think I've read somewhere you talked about Almost one of the joys of your work is the community. So whether it be suppliers, whether it be the people in your team, whether it be the customers, but that sense of community that almost you've managed to create. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it would be no fun doing something alone. And there's so much inspiration to be found in all of the people kind of around me who have, you know, real needs that weren't being met. You know, they're really the genesis of every design that we have. They're all, all of our styles are named after my friends or my grandma or my great-grandmother or my mum, all who had sort of real-world needs that weren't being met. And so this real sense of utility was reflected, their personalities were reflected in the utility of, of the bags and the designs. So, yeah, no, community is always very important. And it always, I believe, the more ideas, the more perspectives just serves to make a body of work stronger. And, yeah, I don't have all the answers. So I need everyone. <laughs> I need everyone on the team around us. And I don't think anyone does, because especially if you're trying to, as you said, represent a range of women and their needs, then you need to look to others for inspiration. That makes total sense. And I was interested, Jessie, 
you, you started your own company straight away. Whereas a lot of people kind of finish studies or spend many years working in a company, working for others before they maybe choose to take the leap into running their own business. What for you was the reason that you wanted to run your own business? I'd never really imagined it any other way. And I suppose when I graduated, I'd already been making Yume bags or leather goods. I don't know if they were quite Yume yet, but as a part of my degree and people had shown interest in them. And I'd always, I guess, like between the being a fashion designer or a magazine editor, knowing that I'd wanted to run my own business, like that was just already there from as long as I can remember. My parents both run their own businesses as well. And so the product already had a bit of a momentum and it just felt like, why why let that go? Why let that slow? So, and I was 21, so I didn't have really anything to lose. It was always, if it didn't work, go on a gap year or go study something else later or go have work experience. But yeah, that was never really what I wanted to do. I never really wanted to like slow down or lose that. So I just went for it. Fantastic. You talked about that momentum, but I think it's an also important point. If you get into your 40s and you've got a mortgage and kids or something, there's almost feels more risk to take that entrepreneurial leap. Whereas at, at 21, actually, as you said, the risk is really low, but the opportunity is quite high. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's different for everyone. I sometimes think, could I have done it faster or in a different way if I had real world experience first, but then might have also had a format of how I thought it should be done. And I wouldn't have just simply built the business in the most straightforward way or the way that made most sense to me. So I guess there's pros and cons to everything and just suits different people. Yeah. And then tell me a bit more about the journey to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I touched on it a little bit, but I started UMA because I couldn't find a bag that would carry everything I needed in a day. I was a student in Dunedin at the time, which is a walking city. And yeah, it was really just sort of like Kathmandu. I mean, I was a fashion student, so I had A3 visual diaries and laptops and chargers and like the kitchen sink that I was carrying with me everywhere. And yeah, I could only really find sort of tramping backpacks or, or really kind of utilitarian items that would actually fit that 15-inch laptop, which didn't really suit kind of my aesthetic that I was, or any of my kind of the values and, and materials and beautiful leathers and hardwares and where, where all those components had come from. And so I, I just made one. I have a real thing about efficiencies in my life. Like I really don't like carrying sort of three bags and, and having to move around in a really clunky way. So I started making bags and the first one was called the Brady Bag, which is one of our most popular styles still today. And it was based off the pattern of this plastic supermarket shopping bag. So a utilitarian item designed to be a weight. And I just started making them, yeah, as I said, in, in the studio in Dunedin and it sort of grew and grew. And I moved after about sort of eight months back up to Wellington, where I grew up, to really kind of kick into the next sort of phase of the business. And it's been about, it's been six years since since I started. And we've grown to have, I think, yeah, about 37 stockists at the moment throughout New Zealand and Australia. And a team that is kind of between Wellington and Auckland. But yeah, I mean, I just started with going to those fashion weeks and starting to get to know the industry. I was really young and it's sort of been baptism by fire. I've, I've learned a lot along the way. And we've just been quite, I think, audacious and what we've wanted to achieve and have just gone out there and done it. You know, we used to go to Linea Palais every year and, and meet suppliers internationally or would not be afraid to just kind of 
rock up to various incredible manufacturers and say, hey, we want to work with you. And they're like biggest in the game, kind of owned by massive luxury houses that usually wouldn't have anything to do with you. But I think it was just that perseverance that has kind of built built up this little business from Wellington. Yeah, wonderful. I love that word audacious that you used. I think it's a fantastic word. You know, you talked about being audacious. You talked about being kind of having perseverance. What else do you think has helped to get you and you made to the stage where you are now with the great manufacturing facility, international expansion plans? What do you think have been some of the, I guess, key success factors to that? Well, it's a word that everybody will have heard a lot lately, but resilience. I I think I wrote down, we're doing planning at the moment, and I just, I think I wrote down in my diary, like, there will never just be a straightforward year. I keep on thinking, when will it just be sort of regular where there's no pandemic or no fires to fight? And I just, yeah, maybe that's a bit of an illusion. Maybe that will never happen. But yeah, I think resilience in the team and having a lot of trust in each other and really kind of sharing a vision of what we want to achieve and breaking that down into little steps that we always we all work towards together. And I think that's a lot of fun. There's a lot of shared satisfaction if you start a project that may be a month long and you all work really hard on it together at the same time and then it kind of all wraps up and then you start on something new. I really like that freshness all the time of, of having something new to focus on. So, yeah, I think resilience would be my, my key thing, but also some fo- focus in there as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And that trust in the team you talked about as well. But I think you're right with a fast growing kind of scale up business. There probably isn't a normal stable year. You're probably always facing changes, challenges. And so that resilience becomes really important. And what do you really love now about your work? I mean, mostly everything. (laughs) Um, I really love the business and the industry that we're in because it's always changing. You know, the role is not the same two days in a row. You go from, you know, concepting a collection to prototyping and sampling and designing into photo shoots and presenting things into selling and, and really building relationships with all of our wholesalers and opening stores and working in architecture and, and really presenting this full vision. And so there are so many different elements which everybody's roles kind of cycle through a couple times a year. But I think some of my favourite things are really when I see the team recognise their own success. And that particularly happened through the first lockdown where, I mean, retail was closed or revenue turned off. It was pretty scary, I think, for everyone. And I didn't know (laughs) what was going to happen either. But we sort of came up with this idea for a digital event. And I think when you're in isolation from others, you, you can kind of forget that there's a community out there that does sort of rally around you, which is such a core and integral part of UMAY. And we had this digital event and 11,000 people showed up. And I just remember my team talking about that on Zoom afterwards. And I could just feel how excited they were that there there was that thing we had created, something so intangible and, and special that people really felt this sense of community around the business and the product and everything we were doing. So that was a real highlight. I think I always said the team is is such a highlight. And yeah, that's really, you know, why that collaboration is so important. And I can imagine that is a wonderful moment where you suddenly recognise, you said 11,000 people show up because they feel part of your community and they believe in your brand. You know, what a wonderful moment. It's super. 
We've talked about, I guess, a couple of the challenges along the way, but also some of the things that you love. I guess if you look back at your career to date, what have been some of the toughest career challenges or moments that you've faced? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I always try and have a relentless positivity. So I'm like, it's not it's not hard. It will be fine. We'll just figure it out. But I think definitely when our tannery closed down in 2019, we're pretty committed to New Zealand Dianapa, which is a beautiful product. And it's just um, sort of a byproduct of the New Zealand venison industry here. So it would otherwise be waste. It is the most beautiful kind of hybrid between a lambskin and a cowhide. So it's lightweight, it's really buttery soft, but it's, it's good for those larger items that are designed to be a weight, like for your laptop and things. And so it's so uniquely New Zealand, there's not really anywhere else that did it like New Zealand Light Leathers did it. And so when they closed down, I mean, I remember Barry, who we're still in touch with today, and actually it's all turned out fine, and we still kind of get to work with him a bit. But yeah, I mean, I remember when they called and it was just like, I heard the whole board on the phone and I just knew it was not good news. So that was really challenging because I didn't know what the next steps were there. And it did take quite a long time to figure it out. But yeah, I think major parts of your supply chain shifting or, or closing is always a pretty massive challenge to overcome. And particularly when that's essentially out of your control, but then you still have to deal with it. I mean, how did you deal with that situation? Yeah, I mean, so I guess we were um, really fortunate that we had such a close relationship with the people who ran the tannery. And I thank them so much for kind of how they acted in that time because they they knew how important it was to us and they knew my whole team and we'd spent a lot of time um, with them at the leather fairs in Milan and things like that. And they actually um, set us up really well. So they kind of gave us a list of the top 10 tanneries in the world and said, go and talk to all of these people and tell them what you're about and, and get them really excited. And we ended up being able to, yeah, I guess, replicate the process in another tannery, which was just incredible. And I think is quite hard because tanning is an age old kind of business and it's rooted in tradition and people don't love to change what they're doing. And so it was definitely hard. I, I think Adrian and I, my head of design and production, spent like four months traveling with all of these suitcases of samples through Italy and like getting on the wrong train and trying to get around, you know, and going to Hong Kong and China and, and talking to people in Japan and the US. And it was just, yeah, some relentless travel there for the balance of 2019. And I, I very much felt when I got home, like, did I really have to go that hard? Like, did I do too much? I was just exhausted. But then the pandemic happened and, and I was very thankful <laughs> for all of the travel that I had like kind of done because it, it kept us going. So we overcame it by building new relationships and that was really down to the Light Leathers guys using all of their connections to introduce us and, and give us a leg up there, which is not always easy to get in, in the leather industry. No, I can imagine. And what a wonderful, I guess, lesson in building those strong relationships with suppliers with partners essentially because when things do get tough then you still have each other's back. Exactly and I think that's something that Barry and Adrian and I have always been so proud of is like you just work with good people and it, it's always fine. Barry always says that you just work with good people and it's cool. That's probably true. Yep and the title for this podcast is The Female Career. Have there been any particular challenges or obstacles that you might have faced as a woman in your career? Oh, definitely. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I think it would be um, interesting if anyone answered otherwise as a as a woman in any business. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I think there's a fair amount of sort of dismissal or being talked down to that sort of happens every now and then. And it's it's kind of, I mean, we had this we have this amazing group of female business leaders that have this call every Friday and it's sort of like this very supportive peer mentoring um, call that we have. And I, I wasn't on the call last week, but their question was like, what is your what is your kryptonite in leadership? And I my kryptonite is definitely that injustice of, of being talked down to or misogyny or kind of like dismissal. And how do you, because it does happen, how do you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, in varying ways. I think that I just try and like compartmentalize it, but I I won't kind of back down to it. I don't know. I sort of will call people out every now and then, but only if it's getting like kind of a bit borderline. And I think it's do that in private and like set an example, but let the team know and like set an example. And definitely if it happens to your team members, stand up for them and, and make sure that they know that you've always got their back. And thank you for sharing some of the ways that you deal with it. It's not easy, but in my work in coaching women, that's often their experience as well, as you said, of being talked down to or ideas being dismissed. And so it's always useful to hear how other people deal with that too. You talked about this kind of three nights working straight and traveling all around the world and sometimes the exhaustion that comes with that. And I think when running your own business, you're sort of, you're all in, it's full on. How do you find some kind of balance between your work and your broader life? Yeah, this is such an interesting question as well. And I like, you know, I've talked about this a lot to some of my friends, but I think that there's such a blend. Like, I don't think there's a sort of work and then life for me. They're all sort of melded into one in a way that kind of works for me. But, you know, I have a really great partner, Jack, and he is just always chilled. <laughs> so it's, it's handy having him around. He always kind of sees the light when things are stressful. And I think it's really important to take breaks. You have to kind of like, slow down to speed up and it's taken me a while to learn that but yeah I would say that's that's a pretty important one to really look after yourself as well. I think it's easy to say isn't it but it's harder to do sometimes. Oh definitely but then once you you do it once it's like okay nothing (laughs) nothing went that wrong (laughs) while I was away so it's fine. Yeah absolutely and I'm guessing now for you've built up a strong team around you that you've got really good trust with that allows you to sometimes step out of the business too when you need to. Mm, Definitely. And I think I didn't, you know, think about it in the same way, but yeah, I did used to travel a lot. And so they were all kind of still going in Wellington when I wasn't there for a a long time. And it just seems different when you're actually like going on holiday versus going overseas to actually work. But yeah, no, they're, they're very capable and they always, yeah, they always do an incredible job. And we talked earlier about, I guess, one of those proud moments, which was during when COVID came to New Zealand and your digital event and 11,000 people turned up. I could hear that was such a proud moment for you in your career. Have there been any other kind of moments or feelings of pride that you wanted to share as you've gone through the last few years? Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> one of the best feelings is when we create a product or we're doing twirling and sort of you never kind of get it right on the first time you prototype something. But when you do get it right and when a prototype sort of 
comes into into the world and it's right and it's a product that really represents you and is kind of what you had in your mind. I think that is a really exciting moment for us. Um, we all kind of, you can feel the energy when, when that happens, especially between Adrian and I, or when a colour comes out beautifully or something like that and, and that you've really hit the mark, which doesn't always happen. It's very hard to sort of physically create something the way that you see it because there's, you know, in the real world, there's limitations around everything. But yeah, I think that's that's always an exciting moment when a toile or a prototype comes out exactly how you kind of imagined it or better. In other proud moments, I think when we opened our store in Newmarket, well, all of the stores really, Wellington, Commercial Bay and Newmarket, but Newmarket was a whole another level for us, sort of, I think it's five times the size of our Wellington store. And I was really proud of that because it had all of these elements in it that were kind of created or like they were informed by our community and our sense of, I guess, collaboration and, and togetherness that we've always tried to imbue in the brand. So Newmarket has um, 12-seater dining table and a lounge and a kitchen and areas to exhibit artwork and all of these other ways that we can connect and, and really host in a space. And I think when we opened that, I felt so proud because we'd, you know, we'd worked really hard to to build an amazing store like that, and it wasn't it wasn't cheap, and and I was really proud that we could make that happen for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I like both of those examples. They're almost when a vision comes to life, and it's how you wanted it to be. It's that wonderful pride. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a special moment for sure. Super. And Jesse, I'd be really interested. Tell me a little bit about the design process. You know, how do you even create the first idea for a new product? You know, how does that work? Yeah, so they're all, I mean, there's a few kind of, I remember when I was, when I graduated and I got my, got my feedback back and it came in your like degree envelope, which actually like that could have been brutal. But anyway, I remember my lecturer, there was one line saying it would be, you've got so many ideas, like just know when to get it and when to turn the tap of ideas off. And so I think I took that feedback like very literally and created like quite a strict like parameter around what we wanted to do for UMAX. It is so easy to get carried away with lots of ideas and how do you create something that always follows the same reductive design aesthetic and always is cohesive and, and tells the same story throughout years. So there's a couple of principles. One is um, simplicity is complexity resolved. So if a pattern is not working, like we will never put something into a product or a bag to cover up like another seam or because something's not working and we'll always go 10 steps back and just like remake the whole thing and just try and get out of our heads and think about it in a different way. So there's no like patches or fixes or things in our process of how we design. And there's also kind of like a, a style guide or a uniform of ideas um, and techniques that we use throughout the product. So those are kind of like the foundational things um, of, that bring all of the concepts together. And then every bag starts with what does, you know, Vi or what does Brady or what does Chalita need in a day? What is the actual utility? What is the purpose? What's the function? What do they need to carry and how do they move through the world? And how can we facilitate that in the most simple and effective way? So I think, yeah, it's the amalgamation of those two ideas is, is where the genesis of any new product will come from. Yeah, fantastic. And thank you for sharing that. And looking at my collection of bags that I have around me, not that I have a fancy collection of handbags, but it's because I haven't ever quite found one that 
accompanies me through my days and all the different things that I do. So I really like the way you talked about that, actually really understanding a, you know, a woman's journey through a day and, and what she might need to accompany her. Nice. And Jessie, you're still fairly early in your career. Where do you see your career heading in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think we still have a lot to build for you, May. As I was saying before, you know, the goalpost always changes. And maybe when I started, it would have been exciting to know where we are now. But now that we're here in New Zealand and Australia, it's like the world's your oyster. And I think that UMAE has such a unique perspective and a unique branding position that really is that utility, that functionality in a product, reductive design aesthetic, but then also out of incredible materials um, that do have a sort of a regenerative life cycle that I think could go a lot further than New Zealand. So we're we're on a bit of a mission to keep building the brand and and growing. Um, and yeah, I think there's there's a long way to go, but we're pretty excited. I feel like we're moving into a new chapter at the moment and planning the next couple of years right now. So great, um, and I think it's a lot of New Zealand businesses maybe look at New Zealand as a market, possibly push into Australia. But it's really exciting to hear you with the ambition about actually, well, how do we grow the brand internationally as well? It's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. Oh, we're, we're excited. <laughs> cool. Um, and one last question, Jessie. I'd love to hear what career advice would you have for other women? Yeah, I mean, I remember a couple of things that people said to me when I was first starting that I think was really kind of useful little nuggets. One was be relentless. That was Karen Walker at her Christmas party, I think, when I was 18. And I actually interned for her when I was about 15, but she said to me, if you're going to start a brand, you need to be relentless. And I think that just kind of meant like always keep going. And another one was nobody knows what they're doing until they're doing it. So just kind of get started. And I think that the first six years of you may have been a lot of learning for me. And I wouldn't know when I was 21 what I know now, but that doesn't mean that you can't always build on your knowledge or, or your skills, grow and develop and learn. And so I think that sort of confidence mixed with naivety is a great place to start and just really have that ambition and and don't worry about what you don't know. You can always, the you know best advice you can get is cost a cup of coffee. So I think, yeah, I think it's just a matter of getting started. And I think... That's great advice because often we think, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. Do I have the skills? I'm not sure. I'll wait till I know a little bit more or before I do something. But actually so often it's in the doing that you get the learning, that you develop the skills to move forward. So it's sometimes just a case of get started. Yeah. I think that is also, I'm just reflecting on it now, but that's also kind of element or a process that design school, I think, taught me in a sense. Every single class you go to, every single day that you're at doing your degree is assessed. And so there's no like moment where you'll have all the knowledge and then it will all be right. It's just kind of like you've got to just always be iterating and going every day and not worrying um, too much about having everything absolutely right because there will never be a perfect time to kind of start something. Mm, mm, that's great advice. So probably never will. So you may as well just get started. Yep. Wonderful, Jesse. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you today and to hear about you, your career, how you've grown the business, some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and that, that wonderful advice for other women as well. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you for having me. It was lovely to speak to you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.